Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Which is, of course, American English for Achtung, Achtung. Well, up to a point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, Now, it's August the 9th. In August the 9th, 1936, 85 years ago today, Jesse Owens won his fourth gold medal at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Lenny Riefenstahl's famous film, The Game, seems to show Hitler storming out of the stadium. But was that really what happened? Well... Like most things, it's much more complicated than that. Like most things in history, it's much more complicated than that. A bit more nuanced. A bit more nuanced. Albert Speer, although, of course, remember, Speer, not exactly the most reliable witness, said Hitler was highly annoyed by the series of triumphs by the marvellous coloured American runner Jesse Owens. People whose antecedents came from the jungle were primitive, Hitler said, with a shrug. Their physiques were stronger than those of civilised whites and hence should be excluded from future games. Well, I mean, Hitler's on... He's on message there, isn't he? Yeah, uh, Yeah, it's pretty consistent. Consistent. But in October that year, Owen said himself, some people say Hitler snubbed me. But I tell you, Hitler did not snub me. I'm not knocking the president. Remember, I'm not a politician. But remember, the president did not send me a message of congratulations because people said he was too busy. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, this is going to lead to lots of talk about. Interestingly, Owens was allowed to travel and stay in the same accommodation as the white American athletes. While in Germany, but when he attended a reception in his honour back in New York, he was not allowed to enter the Waldorf Astoria through the main doors. Instead, he travelled up to reset the reception in the freight elevator. I mean, morning, Jim. How are you, James? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm fine. Um, and, it, and it's nice to be back. It feels like we've had a bit of a... Yeah. You know, yeah. I know we kind of... You've been away, haven't you? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been yomping in the Lake District, which I've got to say was, was breathtakingly beautiful and, and absolutely yep. lovely and... Little Daisy and me, my daughter, um, we uh, we put in some some pretty hard yards. Actually, it was it was good. Good. We we, we scaled fells and yomped and tramped. It's lovely, and, though, isn't it? It's I mean, absolutely it's, it's gorgeous. Sort of, yeah, and the Wi-Fi inane, didn't really work. To say so, but oh, great. there's almost no That's signal good. and there's almost no Wi-Fi, um, which meant I was That's a little bit behind on my my admin, which is why it's, it's only taken me today to email your uncle about Guy Weatherid, his uncle. Oh. His 300 un- yes, letters in Burma. I'm very excited about that. 
Is it 300 letters? 300 letters, over 300 letters to his mother and his brother from Burma. And then he was Blimey. killed in 1944 and he's got photos and all sorts of stuff. And he lives in Weymouth, which is not a million miles from here. So I've just emailed oh, back brilliant. saying, yes, please, I'd love to see it. Can I come down and see you and I'll photograph the lot if that's all right? Yes, it is, he's named for his uncle. So um, mm. uh, uh, Guy, Guy Dickinson, my uncle, was yeah. named after Guy Weatherhead, his uncle, who was a company commander in, uh, is it 10th Gloucesters? I don't know. Right? I don't know anything about it. I just, you know, I've just got this salivating email via your mum. Yeah. Who then put me in touch with Guy. Guy then wrote, wrote to me, but I couldn't reply to him last week because I just couldn't get anything to work. Um, yeah. But I've just filed yes, up an email was, to him yes, this morning. He was 10th Gloucesters um, in 36th Division and he was killed at Pinway, commanding mm-hmm. A Company. Amazing. Or died of his wounds after the, 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 the uh, during that battle. And buried at Yangon. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But so I'm wondering. I'm wondering whether he was in, at Imphal. He probably was. Well, I didn't. I, di- I, I didn't know it was that many letters. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah that's yeah. extraordinary. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. At, better get. We better. Better get into it a bit. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well. Well. Maybe we. Sh- maybe we should. God, maybe your, this fa- your family a... war war record is so good, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just so envious. Well, well, yes. Although I always think my poor grandmother, who lost her husband and her brother, so I, you know the. the you have to you have to temper the yes I temper know. I some of I'm, the, I'm not uh, trying to be trite. I just you know I'm no no just... no no. But it is it it is amazing. There's a wealth there's a wealth of it, and we haven't even got into my father's side yet. So, no, uh, whatever the, with whatever his the colonel's family were getting up to diplomacy and all the what and whatnot mm, or whatever and else. The Greeks yeah. and yeah, sort of stuff in the Balkans. Oh and, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyone who's doing stuff in the Balkans, it's a kind of it's, it's a probably of, up to no it's, good. It's a euphemism for dodgy <laughs> secret stuff, isn't it? Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> but anyway, back, back to the Olympics. I mean, it, it, it's I mean, it's, it's been fascinating that these games have gone on in Japan, isn't it? And and fascinating thinking back on those Berlin Olympics, which are yeah, they're the kind of most one of the most famous games of all, aren't they? In a way, well, notor- notorious, Ooh. surely, yeah, or infamous. infamous, yes. Although, although, I mean, that you know, and everyone knows this though, is that so much of the sort of um, iconography that the Olympics has now. Um, comes from comes from the thirty six games anyway. Know. You know that the. Well, you know who uh, you know who wrote about this was was Guy Walters. Yeah, uh, and yeah. a fantastic book it is, and I think it's pretty much the only book there is, and it's a really good narrative history of it all. And yeah. He brings you know he weaves together all the main characters and all the main players, and he did an absolute host of research for it, and it and it's absolutely yeah. fantastic. And I think he sort of got to the bottom of the whole. Jesse Owens thing and what what Hitler really thought and all the rest of well, it. Well, and the the Nazis put themselves on best behavior, didn't they? Basically, yeah, completely. Because because they knew the world was watching. So so when you read that Owens was allowed to stay in the same place as as the white athletes, that's that's basically Germany thinking. Look, the the the, the German government thinking we don't we don't want to attract attention to ourselves right now. <laughs> not when the whole world's watching. It's when they're not really looking and we can lie and obfuscate. But when the world's actually watching. Uh, we have to behave ourselves. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, which implies, of course, that they knew what they were doing was wrong. Well, I mean, you, you've you've been to Berlin a few times, haven't you? I mean, have you ever been yeah. to the Olympic Village? Yes, I have. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you sort of yeah. go I mean, in there whole... and look at that stadium, and you and you're there, and you you know you half close your eyes, and you absolutely can see that Lainey yeah. Riefenstahl film. And well, but and but also, I mean, it, it it shows what you know. One of the one of the games, one of the functions the games has, although it's not the not not its intended function necessarily, is that governments get to use it, don't they? They get to exploit it, yes. and uh, you know, the, and show how uh, magnificent they are, or how efficient they are, or how or how reasonable they are, or whatever. You know, yeah. like the, so the Australians, the Australians used it to show how into sport they were, mate, and the Chinese. <laughs> demonstrated what you can do if you don't really care about human rights i mean it, it, and britain used it to show that we're completely over over our imperial hangover <laughs> because we've slapped an enormous bandage marked nhs on it yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is interesting and, and you know and 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 the point about jesse owens not being allowed to use the front door of the waldorf astoria is is is, is a really mean one because of course you know, Britain and America and the Dominions—they all go to—they go to war to uphold freedom and, you know, the rights of man and the common man and democracy and all the rest of it. And yet, you have, well, whatever that means, but, you know, um, well, whatever that the, means. The, but I mean, you know, you've got got horrible segregation in 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 the yeah. United States. You've got all sorts of racial issues. You've got um, Britain and its 
increasingly uncomfortable imperialism. So you've got all yeah. sorts of problems. And actually, that kind of sort of leads me to another really significant anniversary, which is that of the Atlantic Charter, which was... Yeah. Churchill and Roosevelt met for the first time meaningfully. They did, had met in the 1920s briefly um, and um, literally, you know, crossing the same room. Um, but they met for the first time meaningfully on the 9th of August 1941 at Presente Bay, Newfoundland. Yep. And then they signed the Atlantic Charter in August um, uh, uh, August 11th, 1941. And it, and it is really significant. And it's just... It's it's a fascinating statement, and it's also it's you can see already by August nineteen forty one the sort of the games that are going on between Churchill and Roosevelt as well, the language they're trying to use, and yeah. the kind of sort of not one upmanship, but but you can see Churchill trying to sort of curry favour with the president, the president trying to sort of exert well, himself well, as well, and it's and it's fascinating. Well, and also, uh, yeah, go on. Well, but the, the, but the, what they're both also trying to do is um, is reflect their own political traditions, aren't they? I mean, yes. Uh, 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 Roosevelt, in particular, is really having to do that, isn't he? Yes. Because he's he's an American. He's an anti-imperialist. He's, I mean, uh, even though of course we know they have an empire, the Americans, but but he's an anti-imperialist, isn't he? And American, uh, you know, last week I spent. I mean, it's funny we're we're talking about uh, race and all this stuff. Last week, the f- show I was filming for this program, we're filming for the show i'm doing was about the american war of independence and then the war of 1812 and uh because obviously our program likes to end on a high so um <laughs> so the Br- british lose the first one win the second one we'll call it a draw with the americans but um but the but on that show we i was working with reg reg hunter um you know who's, who's a, a black american from georgia who's, who's been in the uk a really long time but we would you know so inevitably in the american revolution we're talking about the idea of the Americans breaking away from the empire, but also there being the, the big black, you know, because but uh, there's the there's the Dunmore Dunmore Declaration where the British say slaves come and join us uh, uh, and fight the colonies, and people don't really. And then there's an awful lot of black people fighting for the Americans, and the Americans downplay the numbers, and the French say, oh, we think it's a quarter of the American army's black, probably. And the Americans go, no, no, it's more like one in ten, one in twelve. The co- colonies are. Because what's coming at the end of the revolution, which after all, like you say, is couched in terms of... Liberty, freedom. You know, liberty, freedom, you know. Uh, um, Rights of the common man. With, exactly. Well, it basically ends with Virginia going, well, you know, uh, we're not we're not going to pay people to work. Are you crazy? <laughs> and, um, and so obviously the, you have, even in the Americans who are being anti-imperialist, you have this proper are you know i mean you could call it ironic if you want but this proper contradiction mm. so even while roosevelt is beating up churchill about the british empire his own backyard you know i mean it's very interesting that the, the text they end up on because there are there's so many elephants in the room aren't there basically yeah, yeah it's fascinating i think one of the one of the really key characters of the whole thing and and the fact that and, and the and the germany first policy is is this guy harry hopkins and, and I guess he's still pretty famous in America, but he probably won't be known outside of the US too much, I would guess, apart from sort of, you know, political historians. I mean, he is this he is this absolute giant of a figure, although ironically, physically, he's he's very, very slight and pale. And, and in his 40s, he gets stomach cancer yeah. and he has two thirds of his stomach removed. And when war is declared in September 1939, um, he is recovering um, in Virginia, I think, or Maryland. And Roosevelt goes to visit him on his presidential yacht and they kind of hang out yeah. together and, and he gets Hopkins on, and his family onto the yacht and they kind of sail down the, sail down the river uh, on the presidential yacht. And it is expected that Hopkins is not going to survive. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's he, he's a most unlikely person because he's a, he's the son of an Iowa harness maker, so he's working class background, but he's very very sharp, has an amazing sense of humour, and he works his way up the kind of sort of through a sort of political what we would call a um, I mean he's a bureaucrat really, you know, civil yeah. servant. And 
he and Roosevelt just hit it off immediately. And when Roosevelt brings in the New Deal in the 1930s, and, and this is this, this idea that you kind of, you have lots of public works projects and that gets people back in employment and investment with the government yeah. and that creates more money yeah. and tax and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and Hopkins comes in and he proves himself this absolutely amazing administrator as well as having this shared sense of humour with the president. And, and they're so yeah. unlike it because Roosevelt is, is posh and patrician and East Coast and all the rest of it. And Hopkins is working class and, and Iowan and Midwest and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But he runs the Works um, Progress Administration, which is the biggest of the New Deal relief projects and yeah. does it utterly brilliantly. And then in 1938, um, FDR sends him off on a recce, on a reconnaissance mission to check out how much the US aviation industry can expand, should it need to. Because he's starting to think that war is around the corner. He suddenly realises, yeah. things like, you know, Limburg's crossing and all the rest of it, he realises yeah, the Atlantic's yeah. not going to be the huge, great kind of barrier that it once was. And and thinks, well, the best way to, you know, we want to avoid, avoid war, but we can't do this isolationist project anymore you know we're going to have yeah. there's going to be a european war it's going to affect us whether we like it or not we need to get involved we need to make sure we're backing the right side but let's yeah. let's not get our boys killed let's let's provide machinery so that other nations boys can be killed rather than ours that's the kind of yeah. the plan yeah. and obviously increasingly it becomes obvious as the war progresses that that you know america is going to come in but the the challenge that that Roosevelt has is how does he how does he prepare that? And the problem, yeah, Roosevelt, well, how also, he plays the yeah, how, yeah how does he prepare the all Americans? The, all the politics in, in, right. in America, you know, because isolationism is is it, you know is entirely serious um, as a as a political force, and has I mean, in lots of ways, it's not unlike appeasement, is it? It's no. um, uh, which has colossal political uh, support and credibility, and and you know, and understandably, because after all, it's all about. This is all about the First World War. This is all about um, uh, what, what everyone's been through with the First World War and the depression that follows it and all that stuff. Yeah. So everyone's trying to, you know, these these things are entirely. It's and it's actually it's quite interesting because it's unlike Chamberlain, isn't it? In, in in that respect, Chamberlain ends up in a war because his policy fails. Roosevelt has to find a way around opinion rather than yes, uh, and, and and get his policy over. Yeah. You know, rather than the rather than be synonymous, you know, he's, he's not synonymous with isolationism, even though he has adopted isolationist positions up to this point. It was yeah. very interesting. What he's I mean, got in in 19, the nineteen thirty two election, he's got in on an isolationist com ticket completely, completely, and his manoeuvre, but his manoeuvring is quite extraordinary, isn't it? I yeah, mean, it's it's it's, the, know, it's the, literally the biggest political vault fast I can ever think of, and yet, yeah. and yet he pulls it off. And it's fascinating because, you know, I mean, one of the, the main principles is it, it, it's not just isolationism. It's also reducing the scale of the military, because the theory is if you have a small, if you have a large military, you tend to use it. Yeah. yeah. And if you have a small military, you don't use it. And actually, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. And so but but that that leaves the United States a problem in the late 1930s because they've, they've got this incredibly small military. And suddenly looming on the horizon is a possibility that they're going to very quickly need a very large military. So how do you get around yeah. that? And, and so yeah. what he's doing is sort of manoeuvring and, and Hopkins is key to that. And because, although his background is not, has no military background whatsoever, he's such a good administrator. It's a bit like kind of getting Beaverbrook in to be kind of Minister yeah. for Aircraft Production. It's a kind of, you know, an old yeah. mate and, and someone you trust. And the other thing, of course, is, is that Roosevelt problem he has is that he still suffers from, you know, he has polio, which was disabling for him. His ability to actually manoeuvre and get around is, is quite limited. Yeah. So, interestingly, on the 10th of May, 1940, Hopkins is dining with FDR at the White House as they're digesting the gargantuan news that has come across the Atlantic. Yeah. You know, that the Churchill has replaced Stalin, Stalin yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the Germans have invaded from the West, blah, blah, blah. You know, what are we going to do about it? And Hopkins is about to about to get up and go at the end of the evening. And, and FDR says, well, you know, why, didn't, why don't you just stay here the night? And Hopkins goes, well, I haven't got any of my stuff. So he says, well, no, I'll send someone around and pick up your kind of wash things and I'll lend you some pyjamas. And basically he never leaves. Yeah. <laughs> he just stays there for the duration of the war. And he actually lives in the room where um, Lincoln signed the Emancipation Act 77 years earlier. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, it's amazing, uh, and yeah. and Hopkins is this incredibly shrewd operator, and in, and and 
I don't know if you remember, but Admiral Gormley, who later gets sent out to the Pacific, in the autumn of 1940, he gets sent over to, to, to Britain. FDR yes. sends over loads of people to Britain. Tui yeah. Spots, yeah. later the kind of strategic air force yeah. commander, um, Gormley, various people, because he doesn't trust Kennedy at all, who is the, Joe yeah. Kennedy, father of JFK, who is the ambassador to Britain. And to, to report back on, you know, what they think the likelihood of, of Britain surviving. And they all come back and go, Britain's going to pull it off. It's going to be absolutely fine. It's much stronger yeah. than, than we think, you know, it's going to be okay, but it's going to need some, you know, material yeah. support. They're going but, to need help. And, and also there's lots to learn here from, I mean, because Spots right. particularly comes away uh, with lots of ideas about air power, having seen what the RAF can do ra- rather than what the Luftwaffe can do. I yes. Mean, interestingly. A- absolutely. But while Gormley's there, he first moots that should America come into the war, yes, there will be a Germany first policy rather than Japan. That is then reinforced in the new year with the ABC One talks. Yeah. And that in turn is preceded by Hopkins's first visit. Yeah. So 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 FDR sends him over to London. And th- there is this uh, immediately he get you know Churchill absolutely kind of bends over backwards. Gives him the personal tour of number 10. Yeah. They yeah. hit it off really, really well. They have a sort of similar sense of humour. They kind of, you know, they, they just strike an accord. And and yeah. um, Hopkins sort of tells it as it is, but but is very charming with it in a kind of very obviously American rather than British way. He's not being obsequious, yeah. he, he's, but he's got bundles of charm. And there's this fantastic moment, which is um, uh, recounted in those um, uh, Jock Colville diaries, yeah. where on the 11th of January... Um, Churchill tries to give Hopkins a kind of full British treatment. So it takes him to this place called Ditchley, which is a huge country house near Oxford, to give him the full yeah. kind of British, you know, yeah, Downton yeah. Abbey experience, basically. Yeah. And in the evening, they have they have this dinner, and, 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 and Churchill is sort of, you know, spouting forth, and he says, you know, we seek no treasure, we seek no territorial gains, we seek only the right of man to be free, we seek his right to worship his God, to lead his life in his own way, secure from persecution. And there's a sort of pause, and he says, what will the president say to all this? You know, and obviously what he's trying to do is ape the... the um, the language. But, yeah. yeah, but ape the constitution, yeah. the American constitution. Thinking this is exactly what they want to hear. And Hopkins says... Well, Mr. Prime Minister, I don't think the President will give a damn for all that. You see, we're only interested in seeing that goddamn son of a bitch Hitler gets licked. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just brilliant. So, so, But that then has this direct knock-on effect to the Atlantic Charter when they finally meet in August 1941, yeah. so later on that year. Because what happens is Hopkins then gets sent over again following Barbarossa, you know, the, obviously the, the, the yeah. German invasion of the Soviet Union. And so... He gets sent over first to to say, you know, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to help the USSR? And Britain has already signed an agreement with the Soviet Union on the 12th of July, 1941, to say that they will mutually support each other in giving all help they possibly can to defeat Nazi Germany and get rid of Hitler, make sure that Hitler gets licked. And then Hopkins comes over and says, "Okay, well, what we're going to do is, is, you know, I just want to stress again that, that, Germany first is is the is the policy, yeah. And, and Churchill says, you know, what would be really good is to have a face to face with, with FDR. And Hopkins goes, leave it with me, I'll sort it out. He then goes to Moscow, yeah, has a meeting with Stalin. That goes down really well. Says we'll do lend lease to you as well, yeah. Then comes back to Britain, and goes, it's all fixed. 9th of August, Presente Bay, Newfoundland. That's where we'll meet. So they get the yeah. HMS Prince of Wales battleship, yeah, which obviously is a, an incredibly juicy target for any waiting U-boat because it's got you know chief of staff yes, on I mean, it, it, Hopkins, all the it, rest it, of it. It's quite interesting, isn't it, that they do they do it they do it <clears throat> that they don't do it on some on a destroyer or something that they do it uh, like you say on such a juicy target, such a way of attracting attention to themselves that they're not surreptitious about it. I mean, what's the thing? What's the thinking in that? Um, is it that you need to do a grand gesture, or, or uh, you know, because after all, if if a U boat if a U boat could, it would you know it, it would 
Or would it not? Because Roosevelt's on it, and they don't want to definitely bring the Americans. No, no, no. So Roosevelt's not on it this way. So they've got to get across the other side of the Atlantic. No, but you... Yes, but I know. But if, say, you interfere... But say you interfere with that, if you're the Nazis. Yeah. Are you doing... You know, are the political ramifications... Do do you know what I mean? Is it to seem... It to seem quite a showy way of going about it. Well... Yes, although it's about as safe a way as you can go, because obviously those battleships are incredibly yeah. fast. And, yeah. you know, they have got Enigma, and they have got Huff Duff, and... Yes, but Enigma's not quite... Um, uh, Enigma's not you, quite you'd literally it, have to just drive straight it, over, a, a, over a U-boat to get caught. I mean, you know, there's no way... I mean, the, the, the U-boats catch them because, because most ships are but slow. You know what I, but you know, what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it, is it rather, it's rather a sort of public showy way of um going about yeah this. but it's also two right. fingers isn't it i suppose but you know your battleship know. is the only one that's got the size and scale to be able to birth house you know the prime minister yeah. you know you're not going to put him in a yeah. tiny bunk on a destroyer are you no i suppose but i'm just i'm just uh, you know it's 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 quite interesting isn't it because yeah. it's because it's it's very like it's very high profile as a way of doing it because later on later on in the war the, you know he shut, shuttled around in whatever aircraft are available, really, isn't he, um, Churchill? Yeah. It, it just seems it seems a sort of headline way of announcing his presence. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, anyway it does. Sorry, but, but the interesting thing about it is before he... When, when Hopkins is arranging it, yeah. Churchill turns to Hopkins and says, tell the president that Britain has but one ambition today, but one desire to crush Hitler. <laughs> which is exactly what it, you know it's not yeah, yeah. get that yeah, son of a lick, bitch licked but it's the same yeah, phrase it's the same sentiment isn't it yes yeah. but then yeah. but then what's really interesting is then what comes out of the of the atlantic charter is the heady stuff that utopian stuff that 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 churchill was spouting back in january yeah but and that's come but, from roosevelt it's not about you know our one desire is to get get hitler licked it is about yeah. no territorial gains to be sought but by that, the united states or territorial adjustments must be in accord with the wishes of people's concern all people have a right to self-determination you know all that's this politics th- that's politics man isn't it of course you it know, is of course it is but it but it's it, but it's 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 funny isn't it how churchill oh, yeah. churchill's doing the kind of the, the, the you know the utopian stuff the heady utopian stuff in January, and, and Hopkins just goes, "No, we just want to get that son of a bitch licked." Yeah. Then Churchill says, "Our one aim is to get that son of a bitch licked," and and yeah. FDR then comes up with the heady utopian stuff. So it's like, I mean, it's it's like, like it's a little like it's a little. I mean, that it's a little like saying, "Get Brexit done," isn't it? It's get Hitler licked, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's and then and then you have. To I'm not going to lie, though. Get Hitler licked sounds stronger. Well, I know, but it's about, but, but but then you and then you have the fluffy language about sovereignty and all the important. You, you know what I mean? Is that 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 Roosevelt's doing his political display that he needs to do? Yeah. Um, uh, because after all, he's performed this incredible U-turn, hasn't he? Yeah. So he has to cloak it in American exceptionalism and an American constitutional language for public consumption and for political consumption. You know, it, th- th- there'll be people on people who need to hear this. Rather than the we're going to yeah. get Hitler licked. It's, I mean, it's it, it's fascinating, isn't it? Well, because it is, but it also it, it also poses all sorts of awkward questions. It doesn't, yeah, yeah. you know, because Jesse Owens can't walk through the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, oh God! Well, yeah, I mean, because you've got yes, exactly uh, before because, we get anywhere near any of that. Yeah, and you've got yeah. India, and you've got you know, yeah, subjugations yeah. of 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 various well, I mean, peoples by well, British by the British Empire all around the world. I mean, well, you know, it's, it's well, a, it's then of a, course, and. That, uh, but 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 and it, and it's that that Churchill gets really pushed on, isn't it? Yes. By by Roosevelt is the empire, and Churchill doesn't have. I mean, maybe it's not on Churchill's radar that American is in, America's, uh, you know, essentially an apartheid country. It's not on his radar that that's important. Even I don't know. It, no, he he, a, he literally just wants to get Germany licked. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, the point. Yeah. So he's just going, yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, fine. I'm I'm all for that. I mean, you know, his his rhetoric is all about the kind of freedoms of people and and you know standing up against tyranny and all the rest of it. But but of course, you know, what he's talking about is 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 white people, isn't he? Yes, essentially. I mean, it is the, the language is very airy. I mean, if you, if, if I mean, if people want to look on on Wikipedia, there is a on Wiki sources there is Churchill's copy with his scribbles on it, with his amendments, with the stuff he's sort of tried to cross out and change. Yeah, and it's not a lot. Um, it's not a lot, um, and some of them come through 
completely unscathed. So clauses one and two, uh, uh, Churchill doesn't try to alter. Clause four, he doesn't try to alter. Um, clause six, as a as a tiny amendment. Clause seven, he basically tries to completely rewrite because <laughs> um, that's participants <laughs> participants work for the freedom of the seas. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, yeah. Britain's, Britain runs the seas, right? That's what... Yeah, well, exactly. It's not It's not much interest in handing that over. But, I mean, it, it is interesting because also what you've got, with Lend-Lease, you've got all sorts of arm wrestling going on about British stock in America and British interest in America being, having to be ceded to the Americans and all this stuff, you know, that the, the Americans are, driving a, are also driving a hard bargain at this point mm. and they're not even in the war. Um, but they're and, about and you, to be interesting. I mean, one of, I know, one of the things know, that comes it, out of that is that the Atlantic fleet will join the Battle of the Atlantic. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah Sinking of yeah. the Reuben James and all the rest of it. Woody yeah. Guthrie's I mean, so great essentially, song. Essentially, they are in the war. But, um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because cause the, 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 Ameri- you know, the, the, the Americans drive a hard bargain when they're not in the war. And then when they come into the war, that doesn't change either. Whereas you, you might expect... Once they're in the war, all right, okay, actually, we haven't got the Brits over a barrel anymore. You know, we're in this together now. And that that does not alter, does it? No. And and certainly right at the end of the war, they're very much like, okay, that's that done. Thanks very much. We're pulling, we're pulling up stumps here and you're, yep. you're, 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 on your you're own. going to have to, you're on your own. And so you get the British then saying, well, we stood on our own when you weren't joining in and our effort on, our, you know, and you get, you get that immediate political pivot into the idea of Britain standing alone rather than the British Empire. Because after all, if you're talking to the Americans, you don't want to talk about the empire because then then they'll they'll just not listen. Yeah, they're like, yeah, whatever. Who, who cares? Yeah, and actually, and future strategy constantly gets changed because of because of American fears of of British imperialism. I mean, you know, that's yeah. why they don't they only get peripherally involved in Burma, for example. Yeah. It's why, you know, they don't get the support um, the British want in Italy after the fall of Rome. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're fearing of of kind of sort of you know manufacturing post war Europe. Yeah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, it's. I mean, it's. It, I mean, well, and then and, and and there's other ways of looking at China as well, of course, because the because, you know, the Americans well, yes. do not want to get involved in China unless they can, you know, unless they can possibly help it, and that that you know, which after all, coloured China's view of them, you know, regardless of this Chiang Kai Shek and the nationalists and the Kuomintang, it's coloured China the Chinese view of America ever since. Yeah. You left us to deal with this on your own, you bastards! Is yeah, the, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Is the, uh, uh, and then when you did come in, you told us what to do, bossed us about, to, you know, yeah. and, and weren't necessarily that helpful. I mean, the, the state of the relationship between Stillwell and Still Stillwell and Ch- Chiang Kai Shek by the time Stillwell goes home, it's terrible. It's, it's a point. It's, it's absolutely diabolical. Yeah. And when, uh, well, exactly. And when people talk about oh, you know, the British and friction between the British and the Americans, and yeah, and, and uh, the, 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 the balls, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. we need to take a break. We will be back in a second when we have much to talk about because I've been spending the weekend inside James Holland's head. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. By the way, we are launching our second series of family stories in a few weeks' time, so please do send your story if you haven't already. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that, actually. Yeah, Um, me too. uh, Yeah, Willow's Willow's been... compiling as well weren't fantastic uh, um yeah yeah it's been going through them all and um which she said the one about the, the you know the, the australian guy escaping in the jungle and all that was her favorite and then but then she did that thing of and this one and that one <laughs> and this one's amazing <laughs> and oh my god that one's so moving and you know so do you think she's so, so anyway, do you think she's um she's sort of coming round to the fascination of the second she's world becoming War? becoming afflicted even as we speak anyway that's um, very very good news <laughs> You can email us your family stories um, to wehavewayspodcast at gmail.com, making the subject of your email family stories. Or you can leave them on the members site um, under the family stories tab. That's the, the Patreon uh, site that um, uh, you may may or may not know about. If you don't know about it, it's Patreon, wehavewaysofmakingyoutalk.com. Google those, you'll find it. It's a very exclusive club of extremely exclusive members. Um, now... <laughs> um, like I said, I've spent the weekend inside your head, James. Yeah, must be very. Me. I'm sorry about that. No, no, no. I've had a. I've spent the last three days. So I was filming three days last week, and then and then went straight on to recording your audiobook. Now, so so Reg Reg Hunter was telling me, his dad died. I think last year or the year before, 102. Wow. And was uh, a black GI Amazing. in the U.S. Army. Amazing. And 
And apparently he was basically on pioneer stuff. And the job he had most of the... Reg, Reg told me the job his father did an awful lot of was um, destroying um, uh, enemy munitions as battlefield cleanup. Amazing. And, wh- and what they would do is they would pile them into an <clears> enormous <throat> sort of pyre and then burn them. And they'd be, you'd be raking the stuff into the fire is what they would be doing. And he said every now and again, someone would drop dead because a round had got them, because the, because the ammunition would be exploding. The stuff would be going off. Bloody hell. It's got to be a better way of doing it. Well, you'd think, but... but I suppose but, there's just know, so much all, of it, though, isn't there? There's so much of it, and you're using the people at the bottom of the pile, aren't you, to do that, yeah. so to speak. Um, so, so you know, little wonder. And apparently, he said, he said um, you know, of course they weren't allowed to fight because um, they were black, but it was still it was still incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. They were given incredibly dangerous stuff to do. And he said that... Um, he said that in in France, that, that that they'd been told they'd been told the black soldiers were told they weren't allowed to fraternise, but the French loved them because they were Americans, and they were told they weren't allowed to fraternise because the French won't like you because you're black, right? Mm. And he said that that I mean, Reg, Reg's father told stories apparently of, of basically guys from the south would black up and rape women and try and blame it on black American soldiers to wow. try and cause a problem. Jesus. I remember talking to Alfred Burke, who was a technical yep. sergeant in the 92nd Buffalo Division. Yeah. And he was from he was from the northern part of the US, so he he wasn't from the deep south. Yep. But his 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 story of kind of, you know, joining the 92nd Buffalo Division and that being created, you know, and all the white officers who were all from the deep south and yep. all just unspeakably racist was was just extraordinary. Um, you know, but they went into action in Italy and, you know, they didn't do particularly well to start off with. But, you know, they learned the ropes and all the rest of it. Um, morale wasn't great, but it's, it was just, it's just well, like, absolutely. Of no, of course, of course, of course morale of course wasn't great. Of course I mean, it wasn't. Officers, and of course, they, of course they got off to a bad start because, because if you've got that relationship between your officers and your of men, it's, it's, you yeah, know. Uh, totally. And it's just. But it was an amazing, it was an amazing interview and, a, and an amazing experience to be able to talk to him about all this, because it, you know, it just seems so bonkers. You know, you 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 forget how recent all this was. That's the thing. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, yeah. you know, so many of the problems haven't, haven't gone away either. But I mean, you know, how how ridiculous. You know, we always we, we you know we always say point out, you know, God, how stupid of the of the Germans not to allow you know to persecute the Jews, all those people that could have fought for Germany scientists and could have brought so much to yeah. the party but you kind of think yeah all those potential black soldiers that could have well hundreds of thousands hundreds of yeah millions D- i mean divisions divisions totally yeah 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 i can't remember when integration I mean, came in but obviously but before vietnam yeah. didn't it uh yes um yes i think ostensibly it was in the early 50s wasn't it um, uh, 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 for for career basically, yes, yeah. they're short people. Um, the other the other thing that the other thing uh, that we talked about quite a lot on because we went to the so we went to Leeds Armouries. Oh yes, um, to to fire Brown Bess muskets and then an American sort of fouling rifle, a fouling piece. Mm. Um, um, the, the 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 and there's a place at Leeds where they have one of everything. Um, gun wise, <laughs> and um, you're not allowed to photograph in there. You're not allowed to film in there. But they literally have they literally have one of everything, including, you know, um, the Owen gun. So the upwards pointing Sten magazine thing. Yep. Absolutely. Absolute one of every single Sten gun. Amazing. They've got a series of the Brens. So they've got the, you know, obviously they've got the Czech um, predecessor to the Bren. And then they've got a series of guns as the Bren is developed away from the, um, uh, from the original the Czech, Czech one. gun. Because the Czech gun has that has that sort of has that barrel that looks like a concertina, you know, yes. that, that, that's right. And gradually that fades away in the design and then is eventually gone. And you have the Bren shape. And of course it makes the gun lighter because it's nowhere near as much metal. Um, uh, of course. Uh, I hadn't thought and, about that. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. And, and, and you swap the barrel. And I think that's a cooling thing because it's got a bigger surface area. Right. So the, with the zigzags. So you have a more, you, you can cool the barrel more efficiently. 
But the, but the British think, no, we'll put a lighter barrel on and, have, and swap the barrels more easily. And you can see it change. And they How have to rebore. They have to rebore from 7.92 um, to, 7. to to 3.03. And you watch it shift. It, 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 it's so interesting. And in the museum, they have Bren gum number one off the production line, which apparently the guy at Enfield, you know, the Enfield factory used to have on his desk as a, as a paperweight. How amazing. Well, I can tell you from personal experience that Bren is not a light beast. No, 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 not, not one bit of it. But so we, so we did all that. And one of the things that was really interesting about that is that, that is that, you know, the pattern, part of the pattern for the American war of independence is the, you know, the, the British, the British turn up tactically. I mean, this is, you know, the British have a way of doing things, which is that you've, because of, because of the firearm you've got, you need way to fire because it's not particularly accurately accurate. So you form up in a, in a block, a square, a line or whatever, and you you put as much lead on the target as you possibly yeah. can. The Americans don't have that. So what they do is they everyone but everyone's got a rifle because they're frontiersmen, woodsmen. They've got a rifle probably and they've got an axe. So you immediately so they don't line up and wait to be shot at like like a European war. You know, and obviously the British they carry on using this technique uh, and that's how they win Waterloo. But one of the really interesting things is so so the American idea of a sharpshooter, of a guy with a rifle. And remember when we we talked to Matthew Ford about martial traditions and yes. how that reflects what a, a, an army commissions by the way of a rifle. A big part of the resistance to the M1 Garand rifle, of course, is that because it's automatic, the American will lose the spirit of the sniping rifleman, the accurate rifleman that runs directly back to their victory. In Isn't the that amazing? Amazing. And you, you suddenly you see, yes, these things are proper cultural expressions, and when and when they're saying that, it really they really mean it, and it really matters. It sounds absurd, the idea that the American is a, a lone huntsman, and that's how yeah, yeah. that's how he acquires his marksmanship. But it's a big part of how they were so effective against the British from seventeen seventy six to seventeen eighty three. Well, so much so that the British copied it with with the um, with the exactly with, with green jackets and skirmishing and yeah ex- exactly. But it's just so interesting and you, and so you know because because when I when you read that and you go oh, you know they they want they want their guys to be proper riflemen and they're rejecting the idea of a gas operated automatic rifle. You think ah oh, it's just ridiculous it's stupid. But actually you can actually you can see why it's baked into their martial. Isn't tradition. that fascinating? If you, yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, that was one of the. That was one of the. You know, we had a lot of fun last week. Um, and how was it firing these? Well, the brown bess um, takes a bit of time, doesn't it? Bit of a faff. Yes, I. Yeah. So you. Yeah. So you've. You. You. You, you open the pan. Yes. You tear the tear the cartridge. cartridge you put like a sort of a teaspoonful in the pan. You close the pan. Yeah. You half cock it. Then you. Put the cartridge, put the powder in with the cartridge. You pull out your, um, you know, your whatever, rod. plunger, ramrod, your ramrod, but and you do it with your fingers like that, not with your hand, because after all, if it goes off, you'll lose your hand. So you, you you ram it as ram it home with as little contact as possible, and you have to be quite vigorous with it. You take that out, you put the ramrod back, and the, the trick's in twirling it while you're doing it. You put the ramrod back in, you go full cock, and then and then you really have to have it properly um engaged in your shoulder because the kick i mean it's it's like firing a sort of you know a, a, a both barrels on a 12 bore at once the kick wow it's proper whammo yeah yeah but the the ball's an inch um uh and we were firing at sort of i mean we were firing at kind of 15 meters at these targets the ball's an inch you can't really aim it you can try and we were i was firing with a bayonet on so it was very heavy um did you hit the target? Really I, I got actually. To be honest, I got a pretty good group, so I was pretty pleased with myself. And then the right, uh, 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 but but um, the black powder is not very nice if you no. manage to taste it. It's pretty unpalatable. Um, but you know they were getting like three rounds off a minute. These guys with the with the bite and tear and you know all that. And then the rifle was slightly different because you 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 prime the again you 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 put the ball in, put the powder in. Then you wrap the ball in a sort of, in a in a in a piece of paper basically, so that it grips the rifling. And it's yes. about, it was about a half inch ball, and you then you ram that in, um, uh, and then you prime the pan with different powder, 
and it's the same thing. But that you can actually shoot straight with. That actually, that is accurate. The ball goes that much more, that much quicker, and because it's spinning yeah, yeah, straighter. Yeah. And um, and Red, Red, you claim never to fire any weapons before, though I'm, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. Um, uh, got a really, he got, he got a very respectable grouping his first go. Wow. Because the thing shoots straight. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't wobble around like that, like the musket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's a, it's a really, really, it's a really interesting place. And obviously, you get into that thing that the British Army, the British Army starts off with one set of doctrine and then and then it doesn't work so they have to they have to adapt they have to change they're fighting a war the other side of a big ocean you know and but is it but is it amazing that operational level stuff you know 100 125 130 years later you've got maxim guns and you know yeah well yeah well i mean a hundred years later by the U.S. Civil War, of course, yeah, you, yeah, you do, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've repeat repeaters at the Civil mm, War, absolutely amazing, you know, and 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 cartridge, cartridge fired um, uh, weapons rather than muzzle loading. When does you know, that that shift starts, starts to happen? And when does the Colt um, revolver come? That's like eighteen forty-five or something like that. Is it by I the Mexican so. War? Attempt, yeah, there's sort of yeah, there's attempts that the people are trying to make revolvers the whole time, aren't they? They're drifting towards it. There's a multi-shooter. The, the, the Leeds have got a multi-shooter flintlock, you know, like a five. Yes. How five fascinating! Go anyway, but, the, but, but the, we shall have the, the, we shall have to go there. Well, yes, I mean that's the that's the next thing, isn't it? Is to yeah, you know, it's all very well doing brown brown besses, but yeah, I know, what about I know. a brown and a Sten and a you know? Well, the, well, and the, but the 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 guy, the, the historian there, who gave me a book about the history of um, uh, British bullpup weapons. So you know the thing that ends up being the SA eighty. So the development of the SA eighty. Uh, 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 you know, a book this thick, yeah. full of pictures about how how they arrive at that and the engineering teams and all that. So it's a pretty, to be honest, a pretty deep dive. He did say to me, if you ever, if you ever short of sleep, <laughs> um, I mean, it's very, very, very in depth. And there's a, and the, interestingly, there's a because you know bullpup is the idea that the magazine is behind the trigger, right? Um, and there is a rifle from like the turn of the century that's like that with the bolts on the stock and they've moved it all back to make the rifle shorter is the idea anyway um uh but but and then there was the em2 after the war that that, that's that idea originally that churchill rejects because he says a rifle needs a butt a proper butt on the end of it for when the ammunition runs out okay because you've got to be able to bash the other guy's brains in of course yeah yeah yeah. it's the thing he says turn it around and Turn yeah, it as a club. Yeah. Which is how they end up with the FN, with the SLR. Anyway, I've, I've, I've got a, I've got a very, I've got a very, very big book called German Machine Guns, and it's that <laughs> I, I raise you on your, on the width of your book. It, it's, a, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I don't doubt it. It's, 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 it's someone's got... life's work. Is is this book? <laughs> and it's it's just totally unreadable. <laughs> um. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, you're the audio book. That's what we were talking about. We were going to. Talk oh yes, about. yes, 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 yes. Well, so I'm. Uh, we're halfway through the Battle of Giel. Night has fallen in Giel. Oh my god! The yagged, yes. the yagged, the yagged panthers arrive at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and and so we've you know we've been Burnett shoots normal... it up as it comes into the market square. That's right. Yeah, you've been and and there's and uh, there's a missing there's the missing tank. Sergeant Carr's tank is missing. Yes. Where's he gone? It's a spectral Sherman going around in the middle of the night. Anyway, um, uh, can I just say that I'm was like, unbelievably difficult to piece together. That was yeah, that I'm was surprised. the single most difficult section of the entire book was writing the Gill battle, because none of the of uh, the eyewitnesses quite marry. Yeah, and so yeah. particularly in that B squadron stuff, and you can understand yeah. why they don't marry because. It's misty and it's night and it's there's a battle and no one knows what the hell is going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was oh gosh that was difficult. But I, I the thing I the thing I found the thing, well I mean it, it it's a cracking read I'll you know I'll get lay my cards on the table I'm enjoying enjoying reading it enormously. Well thank again, you. Again it reads out loud very well which is sometimes sometimes books don't. Um uh um it, it, it's really terrific and. The st- Padre Skinner at the moment is my is the sort of my hero of the book um, right now. Skinner. I know, uh, and, uh, you know, I know we're I know we're inside. Every, you know, because we've got so many, you've got so many diaries from so many of the participants, 
and letters that were kind of inside most of their heads. But it's Skinner whose, who's, you know, efforts to make sure he knows what's happened to every, every casualty. There's something... Very noble about su- that. Superhuman about his efforts. Yeah. The, Can he, he's you know, always the, throwing up, isn't he, poor fellow? He's always throwing up. Went to bed, sick all night. Woke up, sick again. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that tenor of it. It, it really is. It, it, it's quite extraordinary. And, I mean, I was going to ask this. The men know he's doing this, right? Yes. Yeah. And what do they say about it? Cause, because... No, they... no one has... There's, there's two people that, that no one has anything but the highest praise for. One is Danny yeah. Christopherson and the other yeah. one is Padre Skinner. Yeah. All of them. You know, so Skinner's... Skinner's there as chaplain. He's there to kind of offer... He's there to be someone to talk to. He's basically there to shrink. Yeah. 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 The combination yeah, yeah, yeah. of him and Hilda Young, who's a doctor. Charles yeah. Young, who's a doctor. Yeah. They're, they're kind of sort of... They're kind of sort of moral support, basically. Safety valve people, aren't they? Yes. Yes, exactly. But But... He also has this deep and profound belief that everyone should be recovered, and it and it really, really, properly upsets him if he can't find anyone. And there's yeah. there's Bill Bartle who gets gets blown, to, yes. probably blown to smithereens at, at um, yes. near point Goes one forward with a brain gun, doesn't he? And the and the P line, to, uh, the yeah. P lead. Yes. Yeah. And and just yeah. no no one can find a trace of him. So it's the only conclusion they can they can come up with is he just gets blown to pieces, um, and. He's really, really upset about that. But, I mean, the amazing thing is, is that his casualty book also includes all these little sketches of where the graves are. So, they've, you know, he's done these little pencil sketches. You know, there's a crossroad, yeah. there's a road, this is a field. You know, he's marked here. And, you, and you know, that's in the Imperial War Museum. You can still go and see it. Um, and, and actually, we're trying to get hold of it for the... Um, and his diary for, for this exhibition I'm doing at the National Army Museum, uh, yeah. which comes out in December. Uh, and I've been in touch with his daughter Annette, who's who's lovely, and you know, and he also, I mean, you can tell how how much affection he was, uh, he he sort of gained amongst the the wider regiment because you know he attended so many weddings and then later on funerals. You know, yeah. he married Stanley Christopherson. He did the funeral of Peter yeah. Soleri. He did you know X, Y, and Z. I mean, he sort of very much sort of kept up with them all. He was obviously just a remarkable fellow. Well, it's it, I, I mean. You know, I, I said superhuman, I, and I, I, I meant it. I completely meant it. He, he just seems it's his tirelessness to do it as well. Because after all, because after all, he's if he if he wanted, he could have stayed at RHQ. He could have stayed at the yeah. RAP. He could, you, you know, he, he could have he could have lived a sort of B echelon life or A echelon life if he'd wanted to. Yes, but he's just not interested in doing that. No. Um, and that story where he goes, where he goes goes forward in a jeep and and they bury the the locals are burying some guys under the watch of a german tank the other end of the town yes yes, the other end of the village and and he he helps gets the guys into a sack doesn't he and and uh the the, the, the casual the guys have been killed into a sack and and they're already graves dug and the locals are, are doing this and the germans watched the whole thing and must have seen him in his battle dress but obviously knew what he was doing so Left him to it. Yeah. It's absolutely all of those little incidents in 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 his story are just amazing. Aside from you know, um, I mean, I think I think um, anyone interested in um, uh, the story of armor in Normandy, you know, which, which after all is like been re- reduced to a you know, for some people it's a sort of game of top trumps. For some, it's just factoids about oh, you know, for Four British tanks, four Shermans to deal with one Tiger and all that. Should should read this because the stuff about the tactics they're developing on the hoof that you that because you've got a quick quick firing gun on the Sherman, you can plaster the enemy. And I think one of the really interesting things is is it's um uh is it Stuart Hills is going you know if they shoot it, it, you know once they're fired on they don't fire back. No, that's Semkin. It's Semkin, isn't it? Yeah. So he says once they're fired on they don't they don't fire back. So the thing to do is keep firing at them. And you sort of think that is so that as an insight is obviously because once you're fired at, you don't necessarily fire back. That's like a proper insight into the nature of being in tank combat that he's he's arrived at from his own experience, from seeing what the enemy do and also knowing what he does. 
that, that yeah. if you're fired on, if you're fired on, the last thing, or the not the, the first thing you're thinking is how the hell do I get out of here, yes. rather than the second thing you think is where is he, how do I deal with him, rather than getting one off immediately. Unless you've already seen the other guy, you don't get one off immediately. And I just sort of think all of that and the flexibility, I mean, that, 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 that it's different terrain to the desert is obviously a big thing for the show of Rangers Yeomanry. They're, they're thinking it's not the wide open spaces. The Rangers are all much closer. But that then informs, has to inform, if you're playing, if, if your insistence is, well, the Tigers have got an 88 and the Sherman's only got a 75. Yeah, but the Rangers change that. The Rangers automatically, that matters in the desert where it's wide open spaces. And, and if, you know, a, a, if there were Tigers at, Alamein, they'd have fixed the Shermans a mile off, right? But there weren't. But you see what I mean? Yeah. Right. So when you get to Normandy, while while you might be able to say a Tiger tank or a Panther has a a, a more formidable weapon, anti tank weapon, the ranges you're talking about is it's literally people coming around the corner. It's people coming out of the orchard in front of you. Well, it's literally coming around the corner. And and the, and the interesting yeah. thing is that Semkin comes up with this idea that what you've got to do is just keep firing, 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 firing. Yeah. And then manoeuvre your 17-pounder into your Firefly into a position where it can then do the, the, the lethal shot. Yeah. Because the moment you start pummeling them, what happens is they then close the hatches. Shut and then they can't down. see anything. And, yeah. and, and he's saying that in the middle of June. And then on the 26th of June, he comes around a corner in Fontenay. And there's a Tiger tank. And what does he do? He hits it with yeah. 10 rounds before the Tiger fires off one. Yeah. And that's the Tiger got knocked out. And later that day, Sergeant George Dring... Knocks out five panzers, including yeah. Yeah. two panthers, two Mark IVs, and one Tiger. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's some shooting but, with but a seventy-five you, millimeter Sherman. But, but but that's also, I mean, a big part. I mean, because that's really interesting, isn't it? As well, because because the other thing that comes really deep into it is that Normandy's Normandy's ideal for defending. Um, uh, if you're the defender, the you know, it's not that you hold the initiative; it's that the disadvantage is in having to take the initiative. Yeah. So. So uh, whatever you do, you whatever you're trying to do, you've got to break cover. Yes. What whatever you're trying to do. Yes. Which of course feeds into the Germans' problem of you of know, counterattacking always. Of counterattacking, which which essentially renders the Germans tactically inflexible because they're they're so they're so determined they're so determined to counterattack. It actually renders them inflexible, and they they deliver up what the Allies need them to do. Which is expose themselves to artillery. Whereas if exactly. you don't counterattack, if you sit tight, and and you know uh, let the British and Americans carry on exposing themselves, which they've got to do. But anyway, but I think. But then you flip to Giel, and you look at those Yag Panthers. You're back. You're back in wide open space, and you're also that you've also got that thing of these encounters are happening happening at a longer range. So the Panthers are suddenly effective in a way they were not in Normandy. Yes. Well, you've got the, also the the whole point about about a Yagpanther is it's not a tank; it's a tank destroyer. So yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a it's yeah. a sub propelled gun, and yeah. so what you do is you manoeuvre yourself where you're hull down, and you then use yourself as an artillery piece. You don't use yourself as a yeah. highly manoeuvrable tank yeah. because you haven't got the yeah. turret to, to swivel around, and don't, you don't yeah. have that flexibility. And what happens is is this you know the Yagpanthers come up, this company of Yagpanthers come up, and you know Lieutenant Ted Cook comes across I've got this photo which I've included in the book actually you can see them in the field they, they cross this field south of St Dimpner's Church which is kind of on the west the eastern edge of of Giel. yeah and they're crossing this field just trying to kind of maneuver around they have no idea what's coming and, and they have no idea these Yagpanthers are waiting for them yeah and the yeah. whole troop is just knocked out just like that yeah, yeah. boom yeah literally in a, in, that, in, in a minute of carnage yeah but that also but that shows that defending is you know yeah. again the initiative the initiative is with the defender in a, in a in a peculiar way even though you're even though you're even though you're not the one making the decisions about what's going to happen next you know, or trying to influence the course of events you're just you just have to sit tight hold your ground yeah. and let the other side serve themselves up i mean it's it's so interesting though i mean that particularly particularly that the sort of flow of debate in normandy yes. and of course the the ongoing problem that your infantry officer outranks the um, armored officer um at every stage of the yes. planning so so the uh, and there's so you know Pete Christopherson he has an ongoing problem of being able to say I don't think that's going to work um and then his squadron commanders have an ongoing problem of saying I don't think that's going to work because he's always working with uh, brigadier 
Squadron yeah, Commander is always working with an yeah, FM He's a colonel, colonel exactly, exactly. Yeah, and all the way down. Um, and that sort of... I think what's interesting about that is that's still going on a couple of months later. Yes. You know, uh, that, that, that even though they've got... The, the Sherwood Rangers have got the message, the infantry battalions don't seem to have got the message. And they're sort of... The, 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 you know, so when they're paired with someone new... There's always when they're well that's the problem there's, with the Nuaro when they're crossing the yeah. Nuaro I mean that's, that's well, exactly. what exactly so the Nuaro it's the Nuaro in particular where where they're paired with someone they haven't worked with before and you're back to it's like you're back to square one and I think that's one of the interesting one of the interesting things is that is that even then that still hasn't quite shaken itself down and you've got to wonder why um, you've got to wonder why and, and maybe it's because the infantry are taking such a kicking that their turnover of, of officers is so enormous that, that 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 by the time your majors and colonels have learned this, they're killed, they're injured, yeah. they're out. Do you know what? I new, hadn't thought about that. That's a really, really good and point. A, and a new guy comes in, a new colonel comes in, who's inherited an outfit, or he's been, and he's got to prove himself. He's got enough on his plate, gripping his own battalion, yeah, and trying to get trying to get his thing right. And he's got, of course, he's got Thomas, um, uh, higher Von Thomas, yeah. Von Toma in his in his ear, um, and and so maybe that's what's going on is that, that your churn is because it's infantry that's ri- I mean the armor obviously I mean one of the points that keeps coming across in the book is you know the, the Sherwood Rangers in terms of officer are sort of 150 replacement rate aren't they? Um, yeah, so it's 36 officers and 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 you know there's basically 300 in tanks and and a 500. Yeah. Yeah, but Outside. but the officer turnover the officer turnover is one hundred and fifty percent replacement rate or something. Yeah, yeah, you, it's, it's horrendous. You, it's you, you will get you will get you will get killed or injured. You know, no two ways about it. But the, but it but it's even higher in the infantry. The people who are really undergoing this. So even if a so even if a battalion's been in theatre for a couple of months, it's probably not got the same lieutenant colonel it arrived with. No. It definitely won't have the same company commanders. No. And battalion commanders. So, so maybe that's why the message isn't getting through. That actually, you know, you you, you really have to got got to work together because because they they're dealing with being they're dealing with their circumstances as they are in front of them. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. I mean, do you, you, get, you do wonder by by the end of by the by the time time of the Nuaro, you think, well, why why haven't they figured this out? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, it's it's it's, it's the ongoing frustration they have, isn't it? The the the, yeah. the you know, and the other problem is, is comms, isn't it? It's communication. It's just, you know, there is no satisfactory way of communicating with infantry at this stage. And there's no way round that apart from kind of shoving the infantry on the tanks and delivering them to the battle, you know, waiting for yeah. the first shot to be fired, you know, which obviously is far from ideal. And and it's just experience of working together. But that that's a very hard way to do it. I mean, but you're getting a, you're getting a, a strong impression of what it was like operating oh, and God. being in a tank. I mean, you're, you're yeah, getting horrible. that kind of... Yeah, okay. Yeah, completely. It's a disgusting thing to have to do, to start okay. to finish. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, you, I mean, you, it's... You, you single out Skinner. I, I mean, I, I I got very sort of involved with all of them, really. I mean, I love Peter Soleri, but I also I have a real soft spot for Bill Wharton. Yeah. You know, he's just just desperately missing his wife. And, you know, he's only seen his wife for basically a month and a half in since 1939. Oh, God, there's, and well, it's there's that bit incredible. where he goes, do you, you realise we haven't had a summer together since... Uh, 1939 exclamation mark he actually says that in one know, of his it's absolutely things. extraordinary isn't it it's Christ, absolutely extraordinary you know, and then you've got yeah, you know I, youngsters like Harry Heenan and, and you know he's he's just like classic boy man isn't he you know you, re- yeah. you re- when you read the whole letters together it's fascinating because you can see that yes he's he's 21 on the 25th of August 1944 but you can still see he's 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 still a teenager as well, in a way. You know, he yeah. he hasn't. He's in that cusp between being a proper grown up and still a kind of a youth. And yeah. and it's and he's a troop leader. You know, yeah. and it, and mean, it's just well, incredible. Yes, there are those there are those O, o groups. There's the, the, uh, where you know where where you remark on how old they all are. <laughs> you know, this is just extraordinary. When I think of what I was doing when I was. 21 well, exactly and just being utterly feckless useless yeah, exactly. and kind of no, like no good of to anybody really, really pro- properly feckless yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> it's just incredible anyway yeah, yeah. well i'm glad you enjoyed anyway, it thank you no i'm enjoying it and, and like i say we got we, you know we market garden yet to come and uh yes and jim gavin yet to make his appearance so all that anyway i think that's pro- we've probably we've chewed the hind leg off that particular donkey today haven't we, jim? yeah i think so very well very well yeah one hour two strong. minutes 
Yeah, that, that'll do. That'll do for that. You can tell we haven't. We can tell we haven't chatted for a week. Yeah, it's, yeah two it's weeks. Funny, isn't it? Right, now, a reminder, we have two podcasts a week. Tuesdays feature James and I trying to wrestle with a broad picture of the Second World War, or whatever, or whatever we end up talking about. And on Thursdays, we talk to a guest about their specialism. We've got Stephen Fisher again in Portsmouth on on Thursday. We went to Portsmouth um, about six weeks ago, four weeks ago, I can't remember. This summer has been a jumble. Um, uh, And I think this is when we're looking at the LCT. Yes, good. That was fun, wasn't it? Which was amazing. Um, And for the truly afflicted... Join the Patreon and you can join us for the live version of the pod every Monday evening. Um, uh, you can join our members at patreon.com slash we have ways, um, which is, I think, five pounds plus VAT a month. Something like that. It's a bargain. Absolutely bargain. Audio books. Jo- uh, and like minded adults. Yes. <laughs> Less than a pint in a London pub. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Fuck me. Anyway, <laughs> apologies for the late minute profanity there. Just the mention of the price of beer. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you soon. Cheerio. Cheerio.